reaching up, reaching over, and reaching out. We are New Life Christian Fellowship. For service times or recordings of our weekly messages, please visit us online at www.nlcfchurch.org. Good morning, everyone. Oh, we got to do that again, guys. Sorry. Good morning, everyone. There we go. That's better. That's good. Sometimes, and um, you know, whenever you would, you would take a class or at a Berean school or something like that, and if the, 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 the reply was a bit weak, they'd make you get up and do a little dance or something like that just to kind of get the blood flowing. So I'm glad to see that the, the blood is flowing now. We are continuing our series, um, and our theme has been called Living a Wise Life. And uh, today's message title, it's called A Self-Disciplined Life or a Self-Controlled Life. You know, these are things that we've got mastered. I'm sure, I'm sure this is going to be nothing new, and I'm sure you're not, you're not even struggling with any of this, so maybe we should just skip this all, but maybe we'll just go through it together. But yeah, Living a Wise Life, we're, it's from Proverbs. We're going through the book of Proverbs, which uh, Proverbs is one of those books where there is so much wisdom, insight, and you get to see so much of God and how God applies or God would want us to apply that wisdom we glean from the book of Proverbs. So that is my task today, God willing, that I will be able to share this with you in a way that it will challenge you and encourage you. Wisdom. So first of all, what does wisdom mean? What is wisdom? Uh, if I asked you guys here today to raise your hand, who all had wisdom, who would raise their hand? Is there anybody that would be willing to raise their hand? Yeah. You, you know what? We, you know, you're absolutely right. There, we, we have wisdom. Uh, there are some things that we are experienced in, yes. And, and the older you get, uh, that is sometimes called wisdom. You know, like, it's good, right? Life experiences have a way of teaching you, which is good. But we're going to dive in a little deeper today. The definition of wisdom, the way I have it written down, is this. Wisdom and knowledge. You can have wisdom and knowledge, right? But two very different things. Wisdom and knowledge, both reoccurring themes in the Bible, or are related but not exactly the same. The dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is right, true, or lasting. Okay? Knowledge, knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Knowledge can exist without wisdom. Knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. One can be knowledgeable without being wise. So one can be knowledgeable without being wise. So just had to repeat that. I want to make sure, because this is the premise. It's got to fit here. And for all you gun nuts out there, the guys that love guns, Knowledge is knowing how to use the gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when not to use it. So that's kind of a, a, maybe a very poor illustration, but it identifies what knowledge is and what wisdom is. So, living a wise life. And there's some examples here that we want to, to go through. Living a wise life and how do we... How do we self-discipline? How do we keep control or how do we lose control? So here's some things, okay? Eating healthy is something that we know is good to do. How many of you would agree that eating healthy is good to do? How many of you have mastered the fact that eating is a good thing to do and that you discipline yourself, you only eat the good things? 
Have you mastered that? Have you disciplined yourself to do that? Okay, one example, okay. Exercise, this usually goes hand in hand. Exercise is good for the body. Would anybody argue that fact that, you know, that exercise is good for the body? A, a number of years ago, I went and had a stress test done because I was feeling these uh, heart palpitations in my, in my chest, right? So I, I go to the doctor and he makes you run on this treadmill, which I did, did good. I think I did pretty good. And then they lay you down and then they, took, they take this thing and they put it about your chest just to see how well the heart is working. And I'll never forget what the doctor told me after I got off that, that table or after he checked that. He goes, you have a very healthy heart that can endure a lot of exercise. So I, I think I understood what he was trying to say in between those lines there. So I think he was saying I should exercise more. But it's something that we have to discipline ourselves to do. It's not something that just comes naturally. Um, so discipline. Uh, what about gossip? Let's get into something a little bit heavier. Gossip, is, some, gossip, is that something that we, that we have a hard time like, if you hear a juicy bit of information, something that's like, nobody knows us, like, hey, I'm going to tell you a secret, please don't tell anybody. As soon as somebody says, please don't tell anybody, how hard is it to keep that secret in? It's hard to do. Are you disciplined in that area to be able to, to keep that secret in? Or if there is gossip that can cause, gossip usually causes a lot of destruction. It's never really a good thing. But are you disciplined in that area of your life where if you hear something that may hurt someone, are you able to contain it? Are you able to keep it to yourself? What about the internet? Today's day and age when everyone, when I, I have seen kids that are eight, nine years old walking around with a cell phone and, the, and obviously access to the internet. And what about we as adults? Sometimes I think we as adults are worse than the kids. We've got these phones, but are we disciplined enough to manage that time wisely. And what about hobbies? Hobbies is another thing. How much of your time is consumed by your hobbies? Are we able to discipline ourselves to balance that life where we are still doing a lot of other fruitful things, good things, and yet, yet still enjoying our hobbies? Are we disciplined in that area? Or does your time revolve around your hobby and nothing else seems to get done? Discipline. Self-discipline, a self-controlled life. That is what we're aiming for. That's the message today. How do we do that? But before I get into that, I've got a few more examples. You know, these, some of these are pretty lighthearted, pretty, you know, general conversation type things that we talk about where we can entertain this. But what happens, what happens, let's say, for instance, you've lost a loved one. Let's say, for instance, you've gotten into a fight with your spouse. What if you just had a really bad day at work, or you've got conflict, or you've got, you're in a, in a rut with a friend, or a, like in a rut relationship with a friend where there's, there's not unity there? Or what if you've lost your job? Or, some other examples, what if your health is, de is declining? Or you're taking care of a loved one that's hard to take care of? and temptation, and peer pressure. When those things come, when life happens, when these things come, and they, they present themselves to you, what do you do? How do you respond? How do you self-discipline yourself? And I'll tell you some of the things that seem to happen over and over again. 
How many of you, I'm not asking you to show, uh, you know, uh, hands or anything like that, but how many of you, when life gets hard, when stress hits something that happens that is, is tough to handle, you binge eat. You just sit down and you eat. That's one way of coping with it. The other thing is, and very common, is we turn to alcohol or some kind of a drug. We learn, we, we, instead of dealing with that head-on or dealing with that temptation or living a self-controlled life, we, we turn to something that's easy, that will medicate us or that will, that will somehow take us away or take us, take us out of the situation. So drugs is a way, alcohol is a way of turning that into a coping mechanism. Another one, very common, and the stats, if you were to read this, is unbelievably high. As a people who are encountering stress or having a hard time dealing with life in general, how many of them turn to pornography? This number is extremely, extra, it's high. I cannot believe the numbers that I read this week of how many people turn to pornography when they are put in a situation where life is hard and they don't know how to cope and they don't know how to self-discipline. Another one, very common in marriages or even in family as well, is people just get angry. Anger is a huge, huge problem amongst people, as, like with us, when we deal with hard things. We don't self-discipline well, and so we get angry. And when we get angry, everyone in your household is affected by your anger. And one of the most common ones, too, and I think I would probably fall in this category more than any one of them, is I try to ignore the problem. I just pretend it doesn't exist, or I just go about my day like nothing, like nothing matters. These are all very serious things, very heavy things, but our response, and this is the exact way, or exactly what we want to talk about today is, how do we self-discipline ourselves? How do we, when we are caught in this temptation, or when life hits, what do we turn to? This is what we are going to learn today from Proverbs, and it's one verse in Proverbs that we're going to be talking about. It's Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, and it says this, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. And I want us to picture that for a second. We all have different ways of dealing with life. And today I want to open up, um, I, don't, I want us to, to see this in a different light, to respond differently, to react differently, to have a different mindset when life happens. This verse here today, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So, when we think about a city, this city that's being described here, a broken city, we can go back to the book of Nehemiah and we can look at the wall that was built around Jer uh, Jerusalem. Um, a, a fortified wall was a wall built to keep enemies out. So how important is the structure of that wall? So when a wall is built, it, its entire circumference of that city is, in, is covered, it's, it's protected. So what happens then if there is one area of that wall that's compromised, one area of, your, of that wall that has an opening or a gap for someone to slip through? What happens then? That is a weak, we would refer to that, that's the weak area of the wall. It's a vulnerable area of the wall. And in, in our areas, like if we look into our life, and this is a self-evaluation part, Keeping that city in mind with the, with the walls that's, that's all around there, but it's got one opening. 
My question to you this morning is, where are you at this morning with your vulnerability? Where is the opening in your wall? Where have you left a gap for the devil to get through? First Peter 5.8 describes this. It says, be sober. Oh, sorry, even before I read that, I want to just back up a bit now, and I want us to highlight how important it is to have this wall solidified, that we have our response to what is happening in life, that we self-discipline ourselves to run to God, to run to Christ. He is the one that will make things right and straight, or will straighten out that path. But listen to what 1 Peter 5.8 here describes. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaming li- ro- roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So now I want you to picture that same fortified city with the walls built. And I want you to picture the devil as a roaring lion. He's not coming quietly. A roaring lion. lion. And he is circling the city looking for a crack in your wall in the wall where he can get through and he can penetrate and get to you. That is the imagery that we have here. And again, looking back here, the way 1 Peter starts off here, be sober-minded, be clear in your thoughts, Uh, and to be watchful. When we think of being watchful, what comes to mind is the, the imagery of war. You know, if you're in a heavy battle or you're fighting for your life, so to speak, and you're camping out for the night, what's the first thing a good soldier or a good group will say to someone? They will put someone on charge to be up or to watch the night. Like, you've got for Abe, you've got first watch. You're keeping an eye on, on us for this, first, for this first evening. Now, I want you to picture that even closer to home. Picture yourself when your family goes to bed that you, as family, acknowledge or to appoint someone, okay, my Sarah, my dear, you have first watch of the night. This is what it means. It means to be on guard, to, to constantly be alert and to be aware of our surroundings. As soldiers wait and watch, so believers must constantly be alert for the enemy. All of the persecution facing believers ultimately comes down to one source, the devil, our great enemy, he hates God and is God's arch enemy. Thus, he also hates God's people and because their, their, as they are their enemy as well. well. While Satan has no power against God, he does what he can to harm God's people. Peter describes him as a prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for a victim to devour. Listen, lions attack sick, young, and straggling animals. They keep victims who are alone. They choose victims who are alone and not alert. Listen to that part right there. They choose. When a lion is sneaking up on someone, it's obvious that whatever they're sneaking on is not aware that they're there. Think of that imagery of how the devil will approach and try to get you. He's going to try to get you when you are unaware, when you're going about your daily business, not aware of what's happening. He will sneak up behind you. Lions prowl quietly, watching and waiting. They have patience. The devil has patience. And he will do whatever it takes to get a hold of you. And then it, it says here that they suddenly, the, the lion will suddenly pounce uh, when their victims least expect it. Peter warned believers to be alert for Satan, especially in times of suffering and persecution. When we are at 
when life throws trials at us, hard things, at this point, this is where we are to be on guard at our utmost be attention, to be aware of what's going on around us. When we feel alone, weak, helpless, or cut off from other believers, we can become so focused on our troubles that we forget to watch for danger. It is in those times that we are especially vulnerable to the devil's attacks, which come in various forms. Often a person's weakest spot, temptation, fear, loneliness, worry, uh, depression, and persecution. Therefore, Peter and Paul remind us to always be alert, to always be on guard, to always be watchful, and to be attentive of what's going on. <clears throat> and so, again, the warning is here to be self-controlled. What do we run to? Let's not run to what the world runs to. Let's focus and let's change our path and thoughts. Let our first thought be that when we run into it, when something tough happens, may our thoughts immediately turn to Christ. What is Christ going to do? Or give it to to God and allow him to deal with it. So how do we overcome the lack of self-control? How do we do it? It's not an easy thing to do. It's something that, you know, we, we default. I want to change our mindset. I want to change our default thoughts today that when we, instead of turning to all these other things that the world turns to, that our thoughts be turned to Christ. What is our default? How do we get there? <clears throat> this thought, or this next few verse that I'm going to read, it's going to hold us as believers accountable. It's up to us as believers to walk alongside one another. And the first thing we have to do, James 5, 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Let let me read that verse one more time. Therefore confess your sins to each other And pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. This whole verse can be a sermon, could be a series of sermons. When sin is confessed in the open, it does two things. If you have a brother or sister that you go and you confide in, you confess that sin, the first thing that happens there, that sin is brought out into the open. But it also makes you accountable to the person that you've confessed that sin to. This is an obligation that we have as believers to one another. How are we doing with that? Are we doing well? Are we living out that part of our faith well? So we confess to another believer. The sin is out in the open. And there is the exercising of our faith that comes into play as well here. That we are praying for one another. Healing takes place when we confess bring the sin into the light, and then we pray for one another. Which means what? That we are responsible for one another. This does not give you a get-out-of-jail card or a ticket. You are, if you are a follower of Christ and a believer of Christ, then you are obligated, obligated to help a fellow brother or sister. Let that sink in for a bit. How are we doing with our life? How are we living our life in lieu of people that we know are struggling? Are we doing our part? As Christians, we are responsible for one another. So if someone is, is, um, is suffering in sin or is gone down a wayward path as a Christian, is struggling, 
what are we doing about that? That's what I get out of this. What are we doing about it? Proverbs 27, 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There's so many things that pop out here. Number one, as iron sharpens iron, that, what's the imagery there? There's two pieces of iron there, right? There's two pieces going back and forth, which means you are not alone. You are not alone. You are, again, responsible for one another. And only, the only way iron can be sharpened with, is with other iron. So you're rubbing that together. That's how it gets sharpened. They rub together, and that's how one, they, the, one other, that, that's how they, they become sharp. But see, with that being said, iron sharpens iron, and that, um, that one man or one woman, like, for each other, we sharpen one another, which means that God expects, expects us to live and serve each other. Here's that obligation again. It falls on us. But not just us. Yes, when we struggle to be accountable, first of all, you have to put yourself out there to be open. You have to be able to willing to say the hard things. And you know what? I've learned over the years that sin is sin and that there is not too many things that I've heard already that, that would shock me anymore if somebody came, came to confess to me about what, you know, what they were in or what they were doing. You know, let's deal with sin. Let's call sin what it is and let's deal with that, right? And again, if you've got nobody in your life, if you don't have anybody in your life that you can confide in, I would say make that a priority. Make that a goal in your life that you find somebody that you can confide in. So important to be able to speak openly of where you are at in your walk with Christ and not to hold anything in or keep anything back. Be transparent. When it comes into the light, then you can deal with it. But it's not just us, okay? I, I, yes, I know that we're an important part of it, but the other part of living a self-disciplined life is that we abide in Christ. I have read this verse, these verses so many times, and they have never been more meaningful than they are today. John 15, 4 and 5 say this, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. How many of you have ever cut a branch or something off of a tree and you crack it open and you can feel the sap or something that's running through there? It gets sticky, right? You see, when we remain in the vine, we as the branches, that life blood, the power of Christ all that Christ is flows in that vine, which is then transferred to us when we remain in the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me, he is that bears much fruit. 
Now, I don't know if this is exactly talking about new believers or if this is talking about the fruits of the Spirit, but all of this bottom line is that when we remain in Christ, that He is the one that's doing the work through us. He gives us the power and the strength to live out the fruit of the Spirit and, and to speak words of wisdom when we remain in Him. So important. So if you are not spending time with God, then how can you be in Christ? We learn and we, we are in Christ when we spend time with him in his word, when we are fellowshipping like we are here today, when we are in Sunday school class like we were this morning, learning about God. That is how we get to know the character of God, of who he is, and the power that he has and the lack of power that we have. And we want to throw away this self-diagnosis help stuff that we do. Let's rely on the Spirit and allow Him to work through us. So we abide in Christ. That is how uh, we overcome this, uh, this, this dealing with not being able to deal with self-control properly. Christ does that through us. The other part of this is that the Holy Spirit, that He is our helper. When Jesus was taken back up into heaven, as the disciples were watching, Jesus calls out and He says that, that, number one, he tells them to go wait, that, the Spirit will, that I will send the Holy Spirit, but that, that he will be with us forever through the Spirit. So John 14, 26 says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you into your remembrance all that I have said to you. So God himself lives in us through the Spirit. How many times have you when asked a question or, you know, when, when you're having a conversation with someone, you know, there is this, whatever passage, whatever thoughts come to mind that you know is just of God. That's the Holy Spirit. But in order to hear the Holy Spirit, we must spend time in God's Word, learning about God and the Spirit. That is how He speaks through us, the Holy Spirit. He is the one that gives us the the, the, the right way of dealing with things, like we talked about the self-discipline, the self-control, our thoughts then will turn to God and not to the worldly things. Self-discipline. And he is our helper. And as I was talking, uh, I, I ran this um, message by Sarah so many times this week because I was really losing focus. And uh, she, she, she mentioned that... Uh, there was a verse that I should say here, what I think is, oh, sorry, let me back up a bit. Before I get to that part, I have some other things I want to talk about here yet. So again, remembering the Holy Spirit, he's our helper. Galatians 5, 16 through 17 says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of your flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of your spirit are against the flesh. But these are opposed to each other to keep them from doing the things that you want them to do or to keep them from doing the things you want to do. So walking, when it talks about walking by the Spirit, how many of you have ever gone for a walk with a friend and not said nothing? Can you do that? So when we walk with the Spirit, we are constantly communicating with the Spirit. He is communicating with us. And that's the, it's a day-by-day, day, it's a step-by-step step type of a, of, a, of a relationship. And this is something that we are to do daily, and through, through, uh, though, through we have, though we have, like we have new life in Christ, we still have a mind and body prone to rebel and entice, are, enti are enticed by sinful desires. We will still be tempted, no matter what. We will still be tempted. 
We often experience resistance when we follow the Spirit's leading. Whatever paths we choose, we will hear the whispers of opposition. Our choices are never free from conflict. How many of you have been there where you've been presented with the temptation and part of you desires to do this sinful thing, but the other part of you is like there's the Spirit speaking to you as well, run, as Joseph did, run. That is the Holy Spirit, you know, convicting you or reminding you that this is not good for you. And on this side of heaven, as long as we live, I think we will always experience that conflict in our souls where there is the world that wants to reach out to us and there is also the spirit that wants us to stay on that path where we live for him. There'll be a constant battle of this flesh versus uh, spiritual. But again, may our thoughts, may we continue to turn our thoughts towards Christ and allow him through the spirit to give us the strength to avoid temptation. We will struggle with the lack of self-control. The next time, the next time you're being tempted to give in to whatever it is that you're struggling with, pause for a moment. Pause for a moment to reflect on God's goodness and faithfulness. How many of you here, when, and I, I want to turn this into a bit of a thought where, like, where does your passion lie? Where does your passion lie? And let me explain this. I'll give you guys a little bit of an example of what I mean. I have read so many times where there is either a mother, a family member, uh, some kind of a, in that type of a relationship where, let's just use the example of a mother. Let's say we're talking about a mother that is addicted to some kind of alcoholism or whatever you may want, you want to call it. But when she finds out that she is pregnant, how many of those mothers that are addicted to this type of an alcohol or whatever, then at that time, change their tune? They have a passion or a desire to let that go or to give that up for the sake of that child. That passion, that passion is enough to, to help someone overcome something. Now, let's turn this to Christ. How passionate are we about living for Christ? When we think about in terms of what a mother will do for an unborn child, what will we do for God who has paid the ultimate price, who has given us the ultimate gift? There is nothing that can compare. We talked about this morning in Sunday school. You talk about gold, whatever you want, precious metals. I don't even like using that word, precious metals. There's no such thing as a precious metal. What is precious is what God did on the cross. Pause for a minute when you are tempted. Pause when the world comes calling and wants you to stray or to give in to temptation or to whatever. Pause and think about what Christ did on the cross. Let that passion, let that love of what, God, what Christ has done for us on the cross, let that be what directs and turns your paths and makes your path straight. We can look at God's faithfulness throughout the Bible over and over and over again. I wrote down a few examples. I'm not even going to list them all. We look at the time when God was present with Moses and the people in Egypt. How faith, faithful was he? Forty years of wandering. No shoes wore out. They never went hungry. Had water. God was faithful. Noah and his family there. The promise that 
that, that was made to Mary by the angel about the, the Savior's birth. The promise of being in heaven forever with Christ. Jesus paid our sin debt on the cross. What does that mean to us? The promise that God or that Christ will, that God will send us the, the Holy Spirit, which He did. What about God's renewing grace every day? What does that do for you? Knowing that you, if you've messed up today, when we go before the King, when we go before the cross, we confess our sin, that God wipes away the sin, and we read about of what it, would like, what it would be like to be in heaven when we get there. It says there that God, we show up with tears, that Christ himself will wipe our tears away. May our thoughts, may every bit of our soul remember Christ when we are tempted with whatever the world has to offer. May our immediate thought be what Christ did for us. This is the verse that Sarah said I should share, and it fits so well, I think. Second Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God, we reconcile we reconcile, we reconcile the word, the, sorry, that through Christ reconciled to us himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our, sake, he made, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become righteous before God. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord, I want to thank you this morning first for the Sunday school class that we had this morning where we learned more about you. And Lord, I want to thank you this morning for the songs that have already been sung this morning and the prayers that have already been uplifted to you this morning. And Lord, I want to thank you for your word this morning. I want to thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Where when you looked down, you saw us as sinful people, never thought twice about sending your son to pay the ultimate price on the cross. And Lord, my prayer for us this morning, that as we live life, as we go from here, that when we are tempted by the world to, to go astray, may our thoughts, may our mind, may every bit of our soul be turned to you and reminded of this precious gift that you've given to us. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you, Lord God, for the love that you so displayed. 
And I pray, Lord God, that we will follow in your footsteps to follow the example that you've left us for one another, that we, will be, that we will be accountable to one another, that we will look out for one another, to be responsible for one another as you command us, Lord. Father, we thank you again for your grace and your love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.